Bookstew viewers and listeners, I am doing a juggling act for you today and let's just hope I don't drop anything. This is my first Zoom from in the studio and my first time with two authors on a Zoom. So um, I'm hoping that technically everything will be smooth and I just want to explain to you why I have two authors on the show. So uh, quite a long while ago, I mean, the book was published in 2014, I read a book called the Till the Well Runs Dry by Lauren Francis Sharma. And in my review, I wrote, the novel is suffused with the everyday Trinidadian routine of food, friends, magic, and spells, the ocean and backwoods hamlets. I'm hoping that many more books will be forthcoming as we learn of the beauty and hardship behind the cruise ship facade of Trinidad. So that book came out and I really loved it. And then years later, and in fact, this past year, the, the plague year, Lauren came out with another book. And this book was called The Book of Little Acts. And the book went back and forth between Trinidad and the American West. And it was so monumental that um, as, I, as I mentioned to Lauren, after I finished it, I didn't even put it down. I started from the beginning again and reread it a second time. And the only other book I've ever done that for is Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. And maybe there was in, the West was in common, the American West, but Larry McMurtry certainly never had anything about Trinidad in it. And then I received a notification about a new book from a Trinidadian author named Celeste Muhammad. And I just, you know, it, Trinidad just, the, connect, the Trinidad connection rang something in my head. And I sent Celeste, a total fangirl, you know, text or whatever. Hello, I just read your fine essay about Dougla in the Millions, which is a website. And Dougla is Caribbean Hindustani because people from India did migrate, not, you know, not always voluntarily to Trinidad. And I said, I was wondering if you'd read the novel Book of the Little Acts by Lauren Francis Sharma. It deals with a Trinidadian woman who comes to the US in the 1830s and becomes involved with men of the Crow tribe who also have black parents and grandparents. I'm asking because I have a TV show and I liked her book so much that I was gonna invite her to be my guest, but I thought it'd be fascinating to have you both on the show and I'd also be very pleased to promote your upcoming book, Pleasant View. So Celeste said yes, Lauren said yes, and that was a long story, but now I'm going to introduce you to them both. And then I'm going to step back and we're just going to listen in on two wonderful writers speaking about their books and speaking about their, uh, their homeland, Trinidad. So, um, Lauren, Celeste, welcome to Book Stew after it. Uh, it seems like now I've taken up half the show and I'm gonna give you the other half. But I just wanna do one, say one more, put one more th uh, thing in here. I was reading um, a little Calypsonian uh, uh, song uh, in my research 
and it goes, if they're sending in Indians to India and Africans back to Africa, well, somebody please just tell me where they sending poor me. I am neither one nor the other, six of one, half a dozen of the other. So if they're sending all these people back home for true, they got to split me in two. So I'm going to leave off there and ask you to, to react to that, to that song. Where to begin? I'm not even sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eileen. Um, yeah, no, I, I think the song is, um, is really reflective of both of our books and, you know, this idea that um, Trinidad is a very multicultural country, um, you know, a, a real melting pot. Um, I like to think of it as a melting pot, uh, you know, more of a melting pot than even, you know, America, frankly. Yes. Um, might be smaller, but um, but in terms of you know uh, demographics, um, it is is certainly um, a uh, a very diverse population of people. We yes. would all be we would all be split. Yeah, we would all be split, and and that song actually I quoted from it in that essay that you um, you you read, uh, Eileen, the first essay, the uh, one about being a doula, because it it really hits home very closely for me me being a doula, <laughs> um, it does hit home, you know, and, and it, life in Trinidad is kind about, like you said, being able to live and exist at the intersection of many, many cultures, many races, many religions. Um, yeah. So speaking of religion, since you brought, since you dropped that in Celeste, um, right now, we're going to watch a very short clip that um, is kind of a dramatization of one part of uh, one of the stories in the connected stories that make up Pleasant View. And this is the story uh, called Loosed. And just to set it up a little bit, um, the characters Ruth and Declan are going to a night service at a revival church. Ruth is a believer and Declan is not. And Ruth, in fact's name used to be Michelle, but when she got religion, she changed her name to Ruth because Michelle had the word hell in it. So um, we're gonna pause here and watch the clip. Declan, that's what you're wearing? Declan had known his wife would be watching in her dressing table mirror as he left the bathroom. Watching, waiting to criticize. He'd known, and yet he went ahead anyway. So what's wrong with this? Declan, it's a church service. What the elders and the bishop will think? Look, anybody would say to render your heart and not your garment? No, it does not say that. Listen, my clothes wouldn't matter nothing to Christ. Only as it are fake ass Christians. You understand? So I guess tonight we're gonna see which kind you're really dealing with. 
Today was their wedding anniversary. Ruth had asked him to go with her to night service at Pleasant View First Holiness Revival Church, a Pentecostal circus, just like the one his grandma used to drag him to as a boy. Ruth had often invited Declan to church. He'd refused every time. Celeste, these characters, and we, I'm sorry that we only caught such a small glimpse of them um, from my favorite story, but there's, you mentioned religion, and here's a case where religion is, is definitely a barrier and an interference in a couple's marriage. Um, how, how do you, do you, know, do you, is there such a tremendous clash of religions in Trinidad? I, there, again, just like there are so many different types of people from so many countries, there are also, there's really a wide range of religions as well. Yes. I wouldn't say there's a clash of religions. I would say that uh, there are many, many um, different types of, of religions. And the beauty of Trinidad is that we all celebrate each other's religious holidays, if you can imagine that. So you have Muslims celebrating Christmas, you have uh, uh, Christians celebrating Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha. So everybody celebrates everybody's religious holidays. and. I wouldn't say that there is any religious tension except uh, around like election time and that sort of thing. Then the differences and the sort of uh, underlying fissures and fractures kind of play up. But as far as religion is concerned, I would say that we are a lot more peaceful and harmonious place than uh, many other places. Certainly than this red and blue country, huh? Yes. Lauren, in, um, in your book, which has also been nominated for a 2021 National Book Award for Fiction, congratulations, um, the Book of Little Acts goes back and forth between Trinidad and um, a Sioux uh, tribe in the United States. How did, how did those two seemingly disparate groups and locations come together for you? Um, well, first, let, let me just make a correction. Um, it was not nominated for that award. I wish. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, no. the, it's the Hurston Wright Award for fiction. I'm yes. very sorry. That's maybe okay. maybe the National Book Award for your next book, though. <laughs> <laughs> we should hope so. We should hope so. Um, yes, no. So it um, it is a strange, it's kind of a strange uh, story, um, you know, bringing a woman from Trinidad to uh, the American West. Um, but, you know, I, um, I'd run across a couple of different stories, um, sort of historical pieces um, about travels from the Caribbean to the Americas. Um, and it was a small part of me that wondered, um, you know, if in fact, women were doing it and if in fact black women were doing it and if everyone else was doing it why couldn't this black woman do it as well um you know and i think my huge inspiration was really to sort of insert a sort of a forgotten group of people into a history that um that had been written about many many times and i knew you know edward rose is a real life character uh in my book he is a black crow 
um, and yet I had never had never heard of him before, and um, he was you know pretty famous at the time, and so um, I really wanted to uh, bring these two cultures together. I wanted to show sort of the migration patterns, um, sort of from the Caribbean to Americas, and show the impact that both of these cultures, uh, both of these places, had on each other. Um, so there was a lot sort of going on there, and and basically I was sort of why not? Why not? Why couldn't this happen? Well, Celeste, so um, as we know in the Book of Little Acts, the Trinidadian part takes place in the 1700s. And um, there's a family who's successful, but they're always under threat of colonial powers, new colonial powers, coming in and seizing land and ruining their lives. When you were growing up in Trinidad, how was your history taught? Was, was it... I mean, how is the colonial part of the history, which is so important and kind of so miserable, how did they mm -hmm. deal with that in school? Yes, well, um, I am a history buff. I always have been. I love history. <laughs> and, you know, in, in high school, you get to select what you want to do for your uh, school leaving exams called CXE. And uh, the we do English. We used to do in my day. English exams in order to leave school. So both times I, I opted to study history, West Indian history and European history. And I would say that they do, they did cover, you know, a wide range of topics. They did, I don't think any effort was really made to hide the horror of what occurred. We did learn about, you know, the encomienda system, how the indigenous Indians were treated. We learned about slavery, we learned about indentureship, we learned all of those things. But I will say one of the things I value about Lauren's book is that until I sat down and started reading it, I never put a face, I never put real people to the dates. You know what I mean? So I, I know all the history, I know it very well, and I know all the dates and all of that, but it was a joy to read her book and to see those dates and, and, and those words, capitulation, and all the things that I know in my head actually personified. And, and to think about it differently, like the, there were real people, there were real people dealing with these issues, you know? I never really thought about that before. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a tribute to your, your research, Lauren which you did, you did four years of. Um, I guess the, uh, the fact that you chose a woman to go back and forth, even though she certainly had assistance from, from a guide who was a very endearing character, um, she had to really defy her father. And I know that um, in, in Pleasant View, there's definitely it's very problematical, it seems, being a woman in Trinidad. There is a certain level of paternalism and, and misogyny that, that's, you know, that's everywhere, but, but it seemed particularly harsh in Pleasant View and also in parts of um, Little Axe. How, how, how did you both feel about that? Um, I mean, obviously everyone, nobody says, oh yeah, I love being oppressed, but you know, in the, within the context of Trinidad itself, what are your thoughts about that? Lauren, you want to go? Oh, um, go ahead. You can go first. It's fine. Okay. You know, when people react to Pleasant View and they say these things, it's absolutely, 
absolutely correct. But the truth is, while I was writing the book, I never really thought that I was, um, I didn't think in those terms that I am going to demonstrate misogyny or patriarchy. I, I didn't think of that. All I did was I was trying to portray life as it really exists for many, many women, women that I know uh, personally. A, no, a number of the stories were inspired by women, friends and acquaintances sharing their, their stories with me. So that was my concern, really just being as authentic and realistic as possible. And in retrospect, I can see, I can see um, why people would say, whoa, you know, you know, so much misogyny and so much. But at the time, it, it didn't really feature in my mind that I was going to write a book highlighting that aspect of Trinidad culture. You know, one of the things I loved about um, Celeste's book um, was that despite the sort of, you know, oppression and down and outness of some of the characters, that there's a lot of agency, um, Celeste, in, in, in your stories. Um, people are just trying to find their way out, trying to make their lives better. Um, and I, I really appreciated that. I mean, for, for me, when I'm writing about sort of the um, oppression of women, misogyny, I'm, I'm, I'm actually writing about what's still happening today, right? I mean, in, in every country, including the one that, um, that I'm, I'm calling in from now, um, there is, I mean, if you think about what's happening in Texas, right? And, and um, just the enormous amount of, um, the enormous amount of sort of legislative work that goes into oppressing women um, is, you know, um, is, disheartening, I think. And I, you know, and, and the, the work that we're putting in, the stories that we're telling um, about women are, you know, even though my book is set in the 1700s and the early 1800s, not that far off from what could happen today um, in many communities. Um, and I, and I, as I was reading Celeste's book, I was thinking, ah, here we go again, right? Um, <laughs> well, if I could, if I could respond to that, I would say that I felt that if someone were to read your book, and then immediately afterwards read my book. I think it would deepen the understanding of my book to understand, to, you know, to see that from from inception, if you will, there's certain um, certain aspects of Trinidad culture that that remain, and and that we almost could not in- avoid given the start that we had. I was wondering. Um, oh, sorry, Eileen. I was just going to ask uh, Celeste one question. Is sure. that okay? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering, um, Celeste, what you think about sort of the the colonial history and the unusual sort of immigration and emigration patterns in, in Trinidad and how um, and how that sort of reflected on your book and, and it contributed maybe to the discontent of, of the characters in your book. Yes, I think we have to admit that Trinidad is a nation because of what's geographically placed as you mentioned in your book. It was inevitable, if you will, that we would be fought fought over by so many, uh, by all the colonial powers, right? But it was also inevitable that they would treat Trinidad as more like a stepping stone. Everybody would just kind of step here to get to somewhere else. You know what I mean? And I feel like that has continued. There are many people, even people who who are born here, who live here now, who do not regard Trinidad as a permanent place. 
we we Trinidadians are, are people always on the move, at least up here, and always looking for either you have some people always talking about going back to the motherland, wanting to go to India, wanting to go to Africa and, and, and reconnect. And then you have people always thinking about going to England, going to America, going to Canada. Everybody in Trinidad is in some way not fully here. <laughs> if you know what I mean, right? Yeah, so yeah. migration, immigration, emigration. And I love what you said earlier. We think of this region, this Western hemisphere as, you know, broken up into countries, but really and truly, there has always been a sort of migration up from, what's it called? Tierra del Fuego, whatever, Argentina, up, 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 up. And when you reach the top of South America, there are only two places you could go. And Trinidad is the first one, or you can go that way to Panama. So there's always been this movement and it doesn't stop at Florida. You know what I mean? They, they, we've always been flowing in, in that direction and, and back, really. So it was great that you decided to acknowledge that. And I, I don't think I had ever seen American popular culture acknowledge that flow until maybe Hamilton. Um, Alexander Hamilton is supposed to be, he was from the Caribbean one of the founding fathers, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you don't really, you don't really, you never really heard that much until, well, of course, lately. And so we have been feeding into American life and politics and culture for a long time. But I guess now it's being acknowledged a little bit. I'm just I'm gonna pop in for a that. minute, sorry, um, Lauren, about Trinidad itself. So when you look at, at Trinidad on a map, it's really, the furthest island in the Caribbean from the United States, and it's very close to Venezuela. And I think yes. that there's the Caribbean where, you know, you hop on JetBlue and you're in the Cayman Islands in what seems like 10 minutes. And then there's Trinidad and Tobago, which require more of an effort to travel to. And where um, most people don't know that you have oil in Trinidad and so and that came as a revelation to me and then of course there's massive political upheaval in Venezuela going on now so um, did you do you think how does the oil impact the culture? Oh. I think the oil is responsible in large part for for modern Trinidadian culture being what it is. Uh, fun fact the first oil, I think, was really uh, extracted and used whatever by an American company. I think it was like Americans who were really responsible for starting the oil industry in, in, in Trinidad uh, about 100 years ago or so. But the, and for a long time, oil and the oil industry remained in the hands of foreigners. But I would say in the latter half of the 20th century, we, the people, you know, we took control of those resources and we started to benefit from them directly. And something changed in Trinidad society forever. Being oil rich, as you know, in other places, you've, you've heard it said, it's a curse in some ways. Because the, the thought was at the time, well, now it's our money and now we don't have to do the things that our forefathers did. Now we can relax. Now we can spend more. Now we can be more, you know, um, 
conspicuous in our consumption. Now we can give away to the entire Caribbean. And so there was a sort of laissez-faire kind of approach that came into Trinidad culture that hasn't gone away. So like when I was a little child, the oil boom happened in the 70s, whatever, and then there, there was this slump. And it was such a shock. It was a shock. Yes. And it was it was part of the reason why so many people started leaving to go to other places, America. And so because we just never thought that oil would betray us, you know. And then there, be, there came another boom, but in, in gas, you know, um, natural gas. They found natural gas and stuff here. And we went into that same boom mentality. Money could never be, could never finish, you know, and stuff. And then now we're in a slump again. So it's it it sort of defines that culture of being very flashy and very conspicuous in our consumption, but then having these periods of just crashing and everybody running like rats from a ship. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry to say we're running out of time, but Lauren, I'd like to um, give you the the last thoughts um, on this wonderful conversation. Um, and I'm so happy that you both joined me. And I'm so happy that you enjoyed and appreciated each other's books. Lauren, anything from you? No, I, you know, I'm really happy to, to chat with Celeste. Um, I would say in the last Point that she was making that um, I think oil also contributes to um, Trinidad not being reliant on tourism, right? And this, this, um, and it creates a completely different um, experience when you when you come to Trinidad. I mean, um, it is not a country that um, that is dependent on Americans to visit uh, or you know the or Europeans to visit, um, and as such, it's not doesn't have that service culture as many other Caribbean islands um, do. And so, um, you know, so if you're visiting, <laughs> you're not very special. <laughs> every, Trinidad, every Trinidadian thinks that they're special. Yes. <laughs> well, there, is a, there is a lot of pride in being Trinidadian. Well, um, from speaking to the two of you, I know how special you two are, and you're special to me, and I want to thank you again so much for joining me today and hopefully um, revealing about Trinidad what Americans would never know if it wasn't for your fantastic books. So thank you both so much. And books to viewers I wanted, and listeners, I wanted to tell you about my next show, which it will be the December show, since this is a November show. The book is Dava Shastri's Last Day, and it's a novel by Kirthnana Ramasetti, who sounds like she's Indian, so um, that should be a good one. Um, so I hope you, you enjoyed this show and my little Zoom experiment, with, which had such fantastic results. So uh, keep watching and good night.